Hello, I'm Michael Billings with River Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I want to welcome you to our broadcast tonight and thank you for tuning in. I'm ministering right now on a subject that I'm extremely interested in. I'm intrigued by it. And uh, I've titled this series, the Why Anyone Can Believe the Bible is True. Why anyone, that's everybody, can believe the Bible is true. I'm surmising that some people do not believe the Bible is true for various reasons. We all have our reasons for what we do in life. But part of those reasons may be that you don't trust God or you're not sure that he's capable of uh, keeping his creation and that things get a little close to the edge at times. I know there's a group of people that are out there that say we need to curb population, which implies that God made an earth that could not handle everybody that he formed, created, and put on the earth. It's just not true. But in this series, I've looked at several things to prove or to affirm, establish the premise that God's word is true based on what it has said about things that are secular, things that, it, that concerning the shape of the earth and the power of blood and uh, the ceremonial law, how those things can be proven scientifically, historically, archaeologically, and by uh, historically, but by prophetic um, Checking up on prophecies, things that were said, did they come to pass? Well, that's pretty good. The chance of that happening is infinitesimal. It's very small of all of those prophecies exactly coming to pass as the Bible said they would. So I want to affirm to you tonight that the Bible is true, every bit of it. You may be a skeptic. Almost everybody is in some area. But you need to change your mind. I, I have to change my mind concerning things that seem impossible, seem too far out, seem just unable to bridge the gap. But as I researched it, and I've been studying this very thoroughly, I have found that everything is true. But it's not just me. There are noted scientists from the 18 and 1900s that have taken it on as their life quest to prove that the Bible is not true, to find the flaws, the errors, the discrepancies, and bring those to light and prove that God's word is not inerrant. But in fact, they've all failed, and many, many of them have been converted, believing that what they set out to disprove, they actually did prove. So in this part of the series, I want to talk about a different subject, not just proofs from the Bible, but from the side that God made a place for you and I, that this earth is not just slapped out of there, out of the universe and out of our solar system, and we just happened upon it. You hear a lot of things about life being on other planets, that it's just happenstance that we're on this one, coincidence that it seems to work. And I want to bring out from the, from the scientist side, from the factual side, how fine-tuned this planet that we live on in is and how deliberate God was in that. 
My scripture is in Isaiah chapter 45 that purports this very thing. It says in verse 18, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Wow. He says that he formed it to be inhabited. It's just not a lump out in the solar system, just one of many things. He, he purposed for us. The New Living Translation says, For the Lord is God, and he created the heavens and earth and put everything in place. Sounds like a very careful creator, a designer. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. The TEE version says, He formed and made the earth. He made it firm and lasting. He did not make it a desolate waste, but a place for people to live. Why, if you even look in our other planets in this solar system, you see that Earth is the only one that's even close, and that it's not insignificant how many details were used to make it not just habitable, but a paradise. The Passion Translation of this verse says he made it fit and orderly and beautiful for its inhabitants. Yay. Well, the more you live, the more you appreciate this earth. It's got things in it and that are negative. That's because there was a curse in the earth because of the sin of Adam. And it turned a perfect paradise into something rather chaotic and something unruly. But God didn't create it that way. And Jesus came to put it back in order. And he has put it back in order for those that will agree with him and flow with him to uh, live above this curse. So I want to encourage you to listen in that light. So what I want to do today is just, not, not scripturally, but just take a scientist's point of view about the narrow limits that this planet that we live on, this earth, this world, how narrow the limits are and how it could not be indiscriminate. It could not be out of chaos. It could not be some evolution that uh, we developed into this thing, that the planet is too perfect. Now, there's some that say Mother Nature and... Uh, uh, is, is a force or a reckoning or an adversary to you and I. And that's just a name for the unruly parts of the planet, hurricanes and storms and hail and uh, things like that. But actually, that's, like I said, a part of the curse. And you can live in such a way that you're not afraid of those things and that you can live above those. That's for another time. But just to say that God made it right. And um, every part of our country, our small nation, has its own ups and downs, its benefits and its downside. There's humidity here in the southeast and uh, dry air in the west. And there's mountains in the west and it's flat as a flitter here. Every 
part of the country has its advantages. Low rainfall, a lot of rainfall, earthquakes, no earthquakes. Yet God made it where it's a perfect place for what he made it for. So I want to talk about, uh, from a scientist's perspective, I've just got a long list here. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things. And I'll tell you, as I researched for this uh, teaching, I didn't understand a lot of the things. They were so detailed, so intricate, um, beyond my comprehension of what it was even talking about, levels of this and excesses of that and deviations from this. But I just picked out, and there's plenty that I could understand, and I want to list them with you and impress you with the very small amount that I brought in my time frame to impress you with how impressed God is with his planet, with this home that we have, and how detailed he made it for us. There's a lot of things to do to prove that God is God and God created this world and God's word is true. All we can do is hit the highlights, but you'll never change what God has already purposed for this world. So let me start by taking this first chapter called Fine-Tuning for Life in the Universe. And uh, it says, for physical life to be possible in the universe, several characteristics must take on specific values. And these are listed below. In the case of several of these characteristics, and given the intricacy of their interrelationships, the indication of divine tuning seems compelling. So there's a, there's a designer behind all of this. It did not just get thrown together. So let's just start with uh, uh, a list of them. We'll just go through them because I want to make a case for every single person that's having trouble, that's, that's uh, struggling with the truth that the Bible is true. The Lord Jesus said that if you know the truth, the truth will set you free, will make you free. A lot of people are not free because they don't know the truth, which means that they're believing a lie or believing a half-truth, which is a total lie. And we should fix that if we can. We should address that if we can, and we can, and so we will. These things are fine-tuning for life. A strong nuclear force constant. A gravitational force constant. Now listen, we, we, we take that for granted, but gravity's just right. An electromagnetic constant force always stays the same. Electromagnetic fine structure constant. The water's temperature of maximum density. Water's heat of vaporization. Now, that's, that's number 86. I've just skipped 80 of them just to get to those. Um, here's one that just to show you what we're working against. The ratio of the number density of dark matter subhalos to the number of density dark matter halos in the present era universe. Uh, this scientist says if that's off, that it's not going to work. I don't even know what those things are to say it's on or off. But fine-tuning for intelligent physical life, 
It says the environmental requirements for life to exist depend on the life form in question. The conditions for primitive life to exist, for example, are not nearly so demanding as advanced life. A life form's activity level and longevity also make a significant difference. So, here we go. I'll just put some redundant ones out there. Galaxy cluster size. If too rich, galaxy collisions and mergers would disrupt solar orbit, the sun. If too sparse, there's insufficient infusion of gas to sustain star formation for a long enough time. Well, yay. Praise God. Parent star mass. That would be our sun. If greater than its present mass, the luminosity of the star, our sun, would change too quickly and the star would burn out too rapidly. If too little mass, the range of the planet distances for life would be too narrow. Tidal forces would disrupt the life planet's rotational period. UV radiation would be inadequate for plants to make sugars and oxygen. Who knew? Who knew that that, that the density of the sun, that the, the star mass was so important that it was exactly the size and the intensity that it should be? How about parent star metallicity? The sun. If the metallicity is too small, there's insufficient heavy elements for life chemistry to exist. If it's too large, radioactivity would be too intense for life, and life would be poisoned by elemental, heavy elemental concentrations. How about that? It's just right. Parent star, our sun, color. If it's redder, the photosynthetic response would be insufficient. If it's bluer, photosynthetic response would be insufficient. So our sun color has to be just right. Wow. Surface grass gravity. If the gravity was stronger, the planet's atmosphere would re retain too much ammonia and methane. If the surface gravity was weaker, the planet's atmosphere would lose too much water. Just right. The inclination of orbit. If it's too great, the temperature differences on the planet would be too extreme. Just right. Orbital, orbital eccentricity. If it's too great, I'm assuming that's an ellipse, seasonal temperature differences would be too extreme. Axial tilt, the angle of the Earth on its axis. If it's greater, the surface temperature differences would be too great. If it was less than what it is, the surface temperature differences would be too great. Here's one called rotation period. I guess that would be a 24-hour day. If it was longer, then the diurnal temperature differences would be too great. If it was shorter than 24 hours, then the atmospheric wind velocities would be too great. Just right. Planet age. If too young, the planet would rotate too rapidly. If too old, naturally, the planet would rotate too slowly. The magnetic field. If it was stronger, the electromagnetic storms would be too severe.
Too few cosmic ray protons would reach the planet's troposphere, which would inhibit adequate cloud formation. Who knew that the magnetic field affected our clouds? If, the, if it was weaker, the magnetic field was weaker, the ozone shield would be inadequately protected from hard stellar and solar radiation. The time between magnetic reversals would be too brief for the long-term maintenance of advanced life civilization. How about the thickness of the crust, the Earth's crust? that make a difference? If it's thicker, there'd be too much oxygen would be transferred from the atmosphere to the crust. If it was thinner, volcanic and tectonic activity would be too great. Oxygen to nitrogen ratio in the atmosphere. If it was larger, more oxygen than what is, the advanced life functions would proceed too quickly. If the oxygen to nitrogen ratio was smaller, advanced life functions would proceed too slowly. Carbon dioxide level in the atmosphere. If it was greater, there would be a runaway greenhouse effect that would develop. But if it was lesser, plants would be unable to maintain effective photosynthesis. How about the water level in the atmosphere? Who knew? Should we care? Well, if it was greater, there would be a runaway, runaway greenhouse effect. And if it was lesser, rainfall would be too meager for advanced life on the land. The ozone level in the atmosphere. If it was greater, surface temperatures would be too low. If it was less, surface temperatures would be too high. There would be too much UV radiation at the surface. Oxygen quantity in the atmosphere. If it were greater, plants and hydrocarbons would burn up too easily. If it was less oxygen in the atmosphere, advanced animals would have too little to breathe. That makes sense. Uh, a nitrogen quantity in the atmosphere. If it was greater, there'd be too much buffering of oxygen for advanced animal respiration. Too much nitrogen fixation for support of diverse uh, plant species. If it was too less, if the nitrogen level was less, there'd be too little buffering of oxygen for advanced animal respiration and too little nitrogen fixation for support of diverse plant species. How about that? We didn't even know it was that important. Uh, the, re the rate of interior heat loss, uh, what our planet's losing in heat. If it's too low, there'd be inadequate energy to drive the required levels of plate tectonic and volcanic activity. If it's too high, the plate tectonic and volcanic activity shuts down too quickly. Seismic, seismic, seismic activity. If it was greater, there'd be too many life forms uh, destroyed. Continents would grow to be too large in size. Vertical relief on continents would be inadequate for the proper distribution of rainfall, snowpack, and erosion. Wow, I could wear you out with this. Let me just hit the highlights, not the too small and the too great. You can look this stuff up, but I'm, just, I'm, I'm wanting to present a case that it's not just one and done. God just sent us down here and said, do the best you can. Volcanic activity. 
If it was lower or if it was higher, we couldn't make it. Uh, oceans to continents ratio. Most of the earth is covered with oceans. But if it was different than that, if it was greater, this would happen. And if it was lesser, that would happen. Soil minerals, mineralization. If it was too nutrient poor, this would happen. If it was too uh, nutrient rich, rich, it would limit something else. Gravitational interaction with the moon. Hey, I can get that. If it's greater, you're going to have tidal effects on the ocean, the atmosphere, and the rotational period would be too severe. If it's less, the orbital obliquity changes would cause climatic instabilities, and on and on. How about the distance to Jupiter? You think that makes a difference? If it's, too, if it's greater, too many asteroid and comet collisions would occur on the Earth. Who knew God put Jupiter out there just to help us? If it was less, then the Earth's orbit would be unstable. Jupiter has an effect on our orbit, apparently. How about the drift in major planet distances? If, uh, if it was greater, our orbit, the Earth's orbit, would be unstable. Uh, if it was less, there'd be asteroid trouble. Atmospheric pressure. They measure that all the time, especially if there's a hurricane coming. If it was too small, liquid water would evaporate too easily and on and on. If it's too large, liquid water would not evaporate easily enough. How about atmospheric transparency? If it's smaller, this happened. If it's greater, that happens. How about the magnitude and duration of sunspot cycles? Who cares? Who, who, why should we? Well, if it was smaller or shorter, bad things would happen. If it was longer and greater, other bad things would happen. It has to be just right is the point. Chlorine quantity in the atmosphere. Well, if it was smaller, erosion, acidic in the uh, uh, acidicity of rivers and stuff would be insufficient for most life forms. And if it's greater, then you have other troubles. Iron quantity in oceans and soils. Now, how can you get that just right, Lord? He said it needed to be. Uh, if it's smaller, this would happen. And if it's greater, that would happen. Let's go on. I hope I'm boring you to tears. I want you to be so overwhelmed by, that, by the truth that God made this planet just for you and me. Just right. And it wasn't just throw a piece of dirt out there and say, Do, uh, run, baby, run. It's exact. The average rainfall precipitation. Well, if it's too small, you know what will happen. Stuff won't grow. And if it's too large, you get a lot of erosion and uh, the, the several chemical cycles would be disrupted. Uh, the average, this is interesting, the average slope or relief of the continental land masses. How steep are the mountain ranges? Well, if it's too small, it does this. If it's too large, it does that. Apparently, it's just right. Praise God. The, here's one. Triggering of El Nino events by explosive volcanic eruptions. If too seldom. It says that we need a certain amount of El Ninos. If it's too seldom, uh, you, you get bad rainfall distribution. If it's too, uh, if too frequent, then you get too much rain. How about that? Just right. We need El Ninos, apparently. Water absorption by the planet's mantle, that'd be the top layer of the earth. 
If it's too low, it does this. If it's too high, it does something else. The quantity of mountains on lands. The quantity of mountains on land. Well, if it's too small, not enough snow and ice to provide adequate meltwater for life during the dry seasons. If too large, too much of the planet's water would be trapped inside permanent snow. Got to be just right. The average height of mountains on land. It's got to be just right because if it's too low, this will happen. If it's too high, that'll happen. Density and thickness of the atmosphere. How high is our atmosphere? How dense is it? Well, if it's too low, you get meteor, meteors. If it's too high, you get dust input into the atmosphere. Who knew? Uh, methane emissions from living plants and plant litter. Well, if it's too low, you get greenhouse things, and if it's too high, you get other kind of greenhouse things. It's got to be just right. Methane has to be right in the middle. Height of the tallest trees. Now, who would have thought? Who could have dreamed that the height of the tallest trees, trees had to be manipulated, had to be created, had to be fine-tuned by God? But if the highest trees are too low, there's, there's these things about capture of water from rolling fog. And if it's too high, then you have inefficient trees and, and we don't have enough trees. There you go. Rate of leaf litter deposition upon soils. So in the winter, when the leaves all come off, the fall. If it's too low, it does this to the nutrients. If it's too high, then the soils do this and that. I'm not going to bore you with that. Quantity of terrestrial lightning. Wow. You mean that's got to be a factor? If it's less, then you get ozone problems. And uh, it affects forest fire and grass fires. They would be generated. Wow. Availability of light to upper layers of the oceans. If lower this happens, if higher phytoplankton growth in high iron content waters would become too aggressive and would upset the marine ecosystem. How about that? Amount of summer ground foliage in the Arctic. Are you kidding me? God's got to control the amount of the summer ground foliage in the Arctic? Well, sure, because of heat of uh, light, lower reflectivity and warms the Arctic or doesn't warm the Arctic. Uh, the quantity of dissolved calcium in lakes and rivers. Well, if it's too small, it does this. And if it's too much, it does that. Uh, frequency of giant volcanic eruptions. If lower, there would be an inadequate delivery of interior gases to the atmosphere. If higher, there would be too much and too frequent destruction of life. Got to have that. How about hydrogen escape from the atmosphere to outer space? Didn't even know hydrogen did escape. But if it's too low, there's too much methane here. And if it's too high, there's too little methane there. Timing of the introduction of the equivalent of a human species relative to the last mega volcanic eruption. In other words, when did God put man on earth? He didn't just flop him down there, apparently, but he had to wait until certain volcanic things happen. 
for the for the climates to settle down. The percentage of the planet's surface covered by forests. There's if smaller this and if it's larger that. The quantity and diversity of plant parasites. If lower, you get uh, you get reduced plant diversity. If higher, you get too much devastation of plants. Quantity of ammonia in the troposphere. If lower this, it, it affects your clouds. And if higher, uh, you have respiratory problems and acid rain. Qual quantity of fallen leaf litter. You've got to have certain things returned to the soil. So you have to have that just right. Quantity and diversity of viruses in the oceans. Tell me you've never thought of that. If lower this and if higher that. Here's one that you'll like. Quantity of termites. If lower, there's an inadequate release of methane into the atmosphere, resulting in global warm, uh, cooling. If we have too many termites, we have global warning, warming. Too much destruction of wooden structures. The quantity of soil nitrogen. If this or if that. That was number 400. I certainly didn't do 400. Be a believer. You've got nothing to lose. You have nothing to gain by being a skeptic, by being a it. What do you care if other people don't believe and you just want to be a part of their group? You want to be seen as being with those folks. Maybe you don't like Christians. Maybe you've been hurt by Christians. Well, join the club. Everybody, every Christian's been burned by a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a, just a Christian neighbor that didn't live a perfect life and actually was a hypocrite. We've all done that and been there. We don't want to. We don't mean to. We don't know who all saw us and who we should apologize to, so it's just out there. And then there's a lot of bad-mannered Christians that just don't care. The Lord has to take care of them. But the case is that this is between you and me and the Lord. It's not a matter between you and your neighbor or your friends or your group. It's personal between you and God. And the thing I want to bring to you before we close is that God is doing everything possible to bring you and me to a state of believing, of trust, of agreement. I think that if you and I said, God, you could do better by doing this, we would find that he's already done everything we could think of. He's already proven his case. He's already uh, had signs and wonders in the earth to demonstrate his power. He's done amazing things of goodness. Uh, when things were going the other way, people say they were lucky, but actually the Bible said it's the goodness of God, the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, leads men to change. It's not the badness that leads people to change. Nobody ever changed because something bad happened. They hardened against God or who they thought was responsible. But God said he's going to do everything possible, everything in heaven's power to be a blessing to you and me. He's leaving no stone unturned. 
So these facts that I read you, they're all scientific. I don't understand all of them. I sure don't get the ones I didn't read you. But they're just a proof. I understood enough of them to know that that's amazing. You can study it, look it up, find your own conclusions. But I'm just bringing this series to you so that you are without excuse. Because you're going to be without excuse anyway. Uh, the Lord had all this stuff that I've done over these few weeks. It's all been available to anybody. Uh, certainly why anybody can believe the Bible. Uh, we're just hitting the high points. We're without excuse. The Bible says even in Romans chapter 1 that if nobody presented us these truths, that we just had to wing it. We didn't even know their, uh, that God was responsible. That creation is so overwhelming and so majestic and so compelling that we would ask, we would ask ourselves, is there a God? And God would answer so you should ask, with all these compelling things that I've shared and perhaps we're going to do more, do you really have a reason not to believe? Go ahead and believe. Go ahead and take a step, because if you take a step towards God, He'll take a step towards you. Truthfully, He's already taken a hundred steps towards you and me. He's really trying to get our attention with His goodness and His benevolence and His blessing and His compassion. I know you and I have both experienced bad things in life, and our excuse may be to say, why would God allow such a thing, such a terrible thing to happen when we see trouble and tragedy in the world around us? But don't forget that if there's a God, there's a devil. He says there's both. He says he's God, and he says there is a devil. And the devil, the Lord Jesus said, has come to steal, to kill, and destroy so when we look out there and see supernatural things or natural things happening and just assume that God allowed it, we need to back up a little bit and realize that the devil did it. And God, because he lets you and I have a free reign to decide, he also lets the devil, he has a certain limited power or uh, domain that he exercises until somebody believes God. When you start believing God, then you start taking authority. I start taking dominion over him, and he's not able to get into my life. It's just like a parent exercising control over their children. Uh, you can or you can't. You, it's whatever you decide. Good or bad will happen because of it. It's the same thing with God. He's really trying to get his best to you and me. I would, I would decide for him. I'd give him the benefit of every one of your doubts. I'm telling you, all the Christians you've seen have been right where you are, perhaps where you are right now. We've gone through that stage. We've gone through those cycles. You're not alone. You're not someone that has it extra tough or has extraordinary circumstances against you. If only you knew what Christians have been through and endured to get to the truth. Well, you should endure and get to the truth. I want to bless you. I want to send God's blessing to you. He truly is blessing you, and he wants to do more. Let him in, in Jesus' name. God bless you. God bless you. Oh, God bless you. Amen.